Welcome to Practically Healthy by Dr. Melina. I'm your host, Dr. Melina Jampolis, and I'm a board-certified physician nutrition specialist. And I started this podcast to take the latest science and really help you figure out what you should do, can do, and eventually will do when it comes to food, fitness, and everything that's involved with helping you become the best version of yourself. All right. Well, for those of you who've been listening to the Practically Healthy podcast, you've probably heard me talking a lot about my new company, which is going to be in the field of precision nutrition and how to age more gracefully, which I am on a mission to do. Um, and my guest today uh, really is is a huge part of that endeavor and is really going to play her company uh, True Diagnostics is going to play a huge role in it. So I'm really, really excited to talk to you. Hannah Went is one of the founders uh, of True Diagnostic, and they have an incredible new test that I think is really revolutionary. But well, before we talk about that, Hannah, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm really excited to talk to you. Tell us a little bit about your background and what got you here. Yes. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Molina. I know we've we've been talking for uh, a little bit of time now, so super excited to be on your your show. And like she said, everyone, my name is Hannah Went. I'm currently the director of operations at True Diagnostic and one of the founders. Really, have always had a passion for biology. That's where it all started. You know, growing up, just interested in science. Um, really, from a small town north of Dayton, Ohio, and went to the University of Kentucky. And after I graduated, I was really interested in more genetic-based counseling, and was really opened up to the epigenetic world after that. Really, how I got in this space though is I worked at an integrative pharmacy for some time after college, really working on um, research and doing a lot of their content as well. So I was really the the one of the lead researchers and content directors there. Um, and in uh, 2019, we actually founded True Diagnostic, ran our first sample in July of 2020. So I've been with the medical integrative space for quite some time, more of the preventative med medical space. Um, and, and really think aging diagnostics is, is where it's at, especially looking at these epigenetic methylation markers, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, first of all, kudos on launching a company right before the world ended oh. temporarily. That's pretty impressive. But um, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure that probably had a bit of an impact on your early testing in terms oh. of life stressors. Uh, <laughs> Definitely, probably the worst timing to launch a company ever, but, but yep. we bounced back. We're, we're all good now. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. So, so let's start at the beginning. Let the, to like, tell, tell my audience a little bit, what, what is epigenetics? I think a lot of people understand genetics and, and by the way, that is also going to be a part of my new company and I'm very interested in nutrigenetics, but it's not the whole story. And you cannot just look at that and expect to get real actionable answers in many, many cases. So, so what is epigenetics? Epigenetics, I like to think of it as epi, meaning above, that Greek prefix meaning above. So think of it as looking above your genetics on top of that baseline infrastructure, that sequence of those nucleotides. So we are just looking at a modification called DNA methylation, actually. And DNA methylation is just turning off your genes. If something is methylated, that means that gene is not getting expressed. You're not going through that central dogma of um, actually activating that gene. So think epigenetics, DNA methylation, turning genes off. Yeah, so that's interesting because I think, you know, 
one of the things that we hear a lot is your DNA is not your destiny. Um, and I always say when I lecture, you know, uh, genetics may load the gun, but lifestyle pulls the trigger. And I think one of the coolest things that I love about epigenetics is that you can change it. So it really gives you a feeling of control over your health. So, so I mean, Tell us a little bit about that. Like, like what, you know, well, and first of all, I mean, I think it's also important, um, like to talk about the history of the field. This is relatively new, um, technology and diagnostic. And to be able to do this in an easy way with just a little finger stick of blood. But tell us a little bit about the history of, of epigenetics. Absolutely. You know, kind of even backing it up further, the history of age-related biomarkers, that has been around for years and there has never been a great biomarker to, to measure aging process. You know, back in the, the 1900s, they would actually look at how many cigarettes you smoked, right? Because they knew chronological age was not a great marker. We all know people who are 30 look like they're 50 and, and vice versa, right? Um, because those lifestyle factors that they have chosen have a specific effect on their phenotypic outcome. So the, the search for an age-related biomarker has been coming for a very long time. There really hasn't been a great one until these epigenetic clocks were released. And those first epigenetic clocks were really published in 2011 and 2013. A lot of you listening are probably familiar with Dr. Steve Horvath, who created um, that first generation based clock in 2013, just noted as the Horvath clock. He will probably win a Nobel Prize for his work in the space. What he's done is, is absolutely groundbreaking and phenomenal. I would say until then, or until um, then 2018 and 2019, we started to have these, what people are calling the second generation clocks created. Those second generation clocks are going to be a lot more predictive of outcomes because we know people who are testing that are sick are going to have higher ages and vice versa with people that are healthy. Those are going to be different than what Dr. Steve Horvath did in 2013 because they're going to be using some type of outside phenotype that also affects aging. So whether that be, you know, proteins or, or even, um, you know, phenotypic outcomes them, themselves. So those are really when the clocks were created. And, um, you know, I, I would say they haven't become really clinically useful until 2019 when the first interventional trial came out showing you can reverse those metrics. That's when we saw that paper and said, we have to come up with a company here. We know there is a need for this, this measurement now. So, Explain this a little further, so because I think it may be confusing, and my audience doesn't necessarily know what phenotypic out outcomes are. Um, so the early clocks weren't really linked to uh, a disease. Is that what you're saying to to a specific outcome, or or what is the difference between this iteration, the second generation clocks, that makes it more clinically useful, so meaningful to the user? Yep, absolutely. I need to need to do a better job of describing that up front. So the first generation clocks, actually how they were created was these researchers like Dr. C. Porvath grabbed biobank samples off of a shelf and they actually tried to predict chronological age of the patient using methylation or of the sample using methylation. And that's not great, right? Because if we wanted to know someone's chronological age, we could just ask them. However, we knew those were still a better predictor rather than chronological age because they are tied to outcomes. So those first generation clocks are still going to be highly associated with disease, right? If you have a higher 
biological age of those first generation clocks compared to your chronological age, you are at increased risk for almost all chronic diseases and even death as well. So, so basically, done- if your cells are older, mm-hmm. you're older despite your age. And if your cells are younger, you're younger despite your age. But the, that's the Ooh. second generation is what really looked at that. Correct. The second generation is adding another layer or component on top of that. So for example, a a really good example to use here is Dr. Steve Horvath's grim age. So his grim age uh, is actually a death predictor that is using methylation markers, but he's actually using a different omic. So he's actually looking at proteomics on top of the methylation markers to make it much more accurate, precise, and sensitive. So those second generation clocks are almost going to one-up those those first generation clocks by being more accurate, predictive, sensitive, precise, et cetera, and being more related to almost all chronic disease and death. So they just okay, get a little I don't know. I don't want to know my death day. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a TV show where they had, they were trying to avoid their death day. So let's oh, let's just oh, stick yes. with the let's stick with the good stuff. Um let's stick with the positive <laughs> aspect of this. So so and and this is and this is not the only way out there but there's some like I remember when I was first I have I've been not to toot my own horn but why not um I've been kind of ahead of the curve with this nutrition and food as medicine stuff and I've been yep. talking about anti-inflammatory diet and, and kind of you know obviously aging better is like kind of the holy grail um of of health really because there's so many age related diseases and we you know I've talked in the past uh about like mitochondrial dysfunction and different things that start going wrong when you age but um and I I used to talk about telomere length so so telomeres just for those of you who don't know are really kind of the they're like shoelaces on the end the end of the shoelaces that little plastic cap on the end of uh your shoelaces and and the the shorter those are the older you are but so what what's the latest thinking this is a m- <laughs> more accurate i mean be, just compared let's just for a moment compare it to other things out there and and why is this something that i should be using in my new company and my audience should really be thinking about correct correct so telomere testing used to be the gold standard for measuring biological aging. That's a great example and probably one a lot of people listening are familiar with. It is now, I would say, definitely deemed archaic. It is It is still, telomeres are still important. Don't get me wrong, right? They're one of the nine hallmarks of aging. They play a, a central role in our aging process. However, as a biomarker, as and, and remember, defining biomarker as a measurement of, of something, we're, we're looking at a measurement of age here. As a biomarker, they are not great. Um, They have very, very low predictive power, even though they have been studied for a very long time. Heck, maybe we've studied them for so long trying to find out that they just don't have a predictive power, right? Um, And their, their hazard ratio is very, very low, which essentially is just another way of saying, again, their relationship to diseases is almost null. So the predictive power, so... What it says, you you really don't know what that means, and 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 does changing it make a difference or not? Faster, so that's and, and so that's the cool thing. So let's let's like hone in now on the epigenetics, and again talking about the True Diagnostic, which is the company that you co-founded, one of the founders. Um, so talk to us about the the predictive value of that, and and why we should care, and then we're gonna get into 
how we can influence that. And we're going to also reveal my results. Yay! <laughs> Woo! So exciting. Um, and you're going to say how healthy I am. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I think just going right into it, Dr. Molina, one algorithm that we haven't talked about today is the Dunedin Pace algorithm, right? That is one that we have the exclusive license for in every single vertical from Duke and Columbia University. That's actually going to tell you at this very moment, how quickly are you aging biologically for every one chronological year? And that completes the picture right there because you can look at your overarching biological ages and Yes, they give you some insight. You absolutely want to be younger. We know that. But then the question becomes, are you going in the right direction or maybe the wrong direction, right? How are your choices that you're making today right now affecting your overarching aging process? That's exactly what that Dunedin Pace algorithm does. And the way it was created was completely different than the first and second generation clocks that I went over with you. Actually, the Dunedin Pace is coined as the first third generation clock that's ever been created. And to talk you through that study, they actually looked at the same group of people, uh, 1,037 people to be exact, from Dunedin, New Zealand, hence that funky name, over a 50-year longitudinal study over that period. They gathered all of these different age-related biomarkers. They looked at 19 different blood-based biomarkers, and they asked themselves the question, how do these change as these people age? How do they even change away from the mean? And they then use some, you know, fancy bioinformatics, basically an elastic net regression modeling system to find uh, to create a methylation predictor just from a blood sample. So I would say the Dunedin Pace, and, and I know what you're really excited about to use for your new company as well, is really the most cutting edge, the, the best commercialized available epigenetic age algorithm that is out there. I think that offers the most value. Um, definitely. Mm-hmm. And and the cool thing for those of you listening that are wondering, you know, why you should care or why you should even consider doing this test um, is that you really can change it and and, and relatively quickly. Um, so so let's get into that. I mean, because I, I think that's the most exciting thing because people want results. They want to see that their hard work and maybe on occasion their sacrifice, passing up that cheesecake or driving, <laughs> driving past in and out burger once, you know, once every few times, whatever it is, um, dragging their butt out of bed a little early to go to the gym. They want to see that that's making a difference. So let's talk about, first of all, things that influence your epigenetic age, the Dunedin pace, and also how quickly we can see these changes. Yeah, absolutely. And and Dr. Melina, t- to be completely honest, that's always why I've loved your work, right? You are evidence-based. Uh, there, there is no guesswork, right? You take the guesswork out of everything. Um, and these biological age outcomes in the gene and pace can help you guide that with, with again, using evidence. What What is in the literature? What does it tell us? So the the number one reason this is so exciting is because it is changeable. Remember, your your genetics, your genes don't change. Your epigenetics, they do. So when we go back and address the Dunedin pace algorithm or just all of these clocks in general, I like to start with lifestyle factors. I'm a firm believer if you know you don't fix those, you're really just putting a bandage on the issue and, and not addressing the, the core fundamental um, shifts not changes, shifts that you need to make in your methylation markers. So, you know, one that we can talk about that's very easy and, and right right up your alley is going to be diet. Um, we know that uh, especially more of a Mediterranean-based diet, um, even that that DASH diet, so more, more uh, whole foods, legumes, grains, nuts, um, 
you know, low uh, and low fat, and then none of the red processed meats, sugar, sweetened beverages, sodium products has really great uh, methylation based processes. And then interestingly enough, caloric restriction, right? Who would have guessed? Um, we know caloric restriction it helps extend lifespan and health span and a ton of animal based models. Dunedin and Pace, again, why we love it, it's actually one of the only algorithms that tracks the changing in the caloric restriction. So there's actually a study called the Calorie Randomized Control Trial. They validated this in, which was just an 8 to 10% caloric restriction over a two-year period in healthy non-obese adults. Um, the question I usually get after that is, well, what about intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding? Those are tools to help you caloric restrict. I am currently doing a 24-hour fast right now. My my time's up at 6.15. It's it's the first one I've, I've actually done this year, but I'm also being cautious of, of you know, restricting the calories. I want to live a, a better, healthier life, longer lifespan, longer health span. All right. So for those of us who are completely <laughs> incapable of fasting or caloric restriction, like me, tell us what else. So the Mediterranean diet, and I, I just want to be clear because this podcast is also called Practically Healthy. And yep. yes, we should limit processed red meat, certainly that one, and and red meat to some extent with making better choices, you know, um, certainly more grass-fed and different things like that. Um, restricting sugar. Mm. I, I never say cut things completely because I am practically healthy, not perfectly. So, and when okay. you hear my results, you're going to understand that you can, you know, get away with a little bit because I'm, you know, I'm pretty <laughs> honest about what I do with my audience and, and how I live my life. And there's things I could do better, but I try to be, you know, do the better thing most of the time, not all of the time. And mm. honestly, I am, I am really <laughs> completely incapable of caloric restriction. I, I've, even the time-restricted eating, I, I tried it the other day, and and it's just, I mean, for people who are super active or who are running around like yep. a chicken with their head cut off like me, it's really hard, and, and it, it I don't want to make people's life harder. So that is one tool, and if you can do it, and if you want to occasionally fast and occasionally do intermittent fasting, great. But I think things like, you know, High-intensity interval training, I've heard that, I mean, let's talk a little bit about the exercise component. I want to talk a little bit about the supplement component because I think yep. you actually, you know, coming from an integrative pharmacy background deepens my, you know, openness to your supplement recommendations because I think you probably have a more in-depth knowledge and then we're going to get to my results. <laughs> Perfect. And I agree with you there. It is everything in moderation. Some in you can't just take anyone's advice, right? Some things work for some people. It's real personalized medicine. I always also say, make it your lifestyle, right? Don't cut something off cold turkey. You're, you're going to bounce back to your old habits, right? Really make it your lifestyle and, and give it the attention it needs if you want to make, a again, a shift. Yeah. How quickly do, uh, How quickly can oh, we yeah. see these changes? Yeah. Deneen Din Pace. Another reason it's our favorite is it is extremely precise. You could actually every it, test it every eight to 12 weeks. So someone comes to you, Dr. Molina, and says, I want to optimize my aging. I would give them that Dunedin face test every eight weeks and have them change things, right? Have them try different things. What works for them may not work for everyone else. So it really gets into your N of one precision-based medicine when you're doing that consistently. Yeah, no, I love that. That's super cool. And and uh, and then again, exercise and then any supplements. And and Again, you know, let, let's go with the exercise first because yep. I think the supplements is a different story. But I mean, is, am I right? Is HIT training something that is better or what does the research show? 
Yeah, I would say the exercise research area with epigenetic aging is still very limited. I would say it's it's almost a, a little harder to measure as well. What we do know is exercise in various ways, but not too much. So when you're talking about the the hit, like some people do and you know, five days a week, it's very intense. We would right. say probably not going to work for you, right? We would say mix aerobic and anaerobic exercise, you know, in, in lung function, some results show a consistent correlation of epigenetic age, uh, or excuse me, epigenetic clock acceleration, um, you know, with the decrease in lung function measured by um, FEV, so that forced uh, expiratory volume. So what we know is, just change what you're doing, right? Take time to do yoga, take time to do stretching, right? Active stretching is a form of exercise. Walk, jog, do cardio, lift weights, endurance, really change what you're doing. Bottom line is make sure your body's not getting used to one type of exercise or one type of function. Yeah, no, I, th I think that's important. I mean, and that's definitely been my approach for 22 <laughs> years. So I'm glad I've been doing things right. No, but I mean, what I tell the patients too, and, and this is right in line with what is hit training is not appropriate for every day because it, it is more stressful to your body and stress leads to aging. And, and so do it, you need time for recovery, you need balance. Yep. And I think one thing that's probably going to pan out in the literature and the research in this field, since it's limited, is reducing sitting. Sedentary yep. behavior, I think, from an aging standpoint, from a disease standpoint. So I, I'm sure that from an epigenetic <laughs> standpoint, it, we're going to find that just by reducing sedentary behavior, I mean, I literally was just talking to a patient two hours ago about, you know, who, who has a block against regular exercise, whatever the LA, it's too crowded, it's too pollution, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, right. just stand during some of your conference calls then. Yep. Just do not sit at your computer all day, every day, because that is accelerating aging. I, yeah, I, I I, I agree. I saw an article the other day. I, I didn't read it. Now I wish I did. But it the title was, it was very intriguing. I'm not sure. I think I was busy, but it said, sitting is the new smoking. And yeah. I was just like, I was just wowed. Um, and, you know, you see a lot of people now on their conference calls with the even the walking, the treadmills for the desk or the standing desk. And that's even much better than sitting. Um, and, and before we, we switch gears here for the supplements, something I wanted to note as well, the most I, I would say the Olympic athletes we test and, and the the people who are doing everything, they have the worst epigenetic ages, right? Wow, really? <laughs> yes, they do. For for the reasons that you just stated, uh, pro, you know, what we can assume or hypothesize is they are probably putting way too much stress on their body, more than enough that they could could ever need. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, my God, yeah. that's fascinating. All right. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I, I, I'd love to talk about some of that data offline. Okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit about supplementation. And again, you know, people, you all who know me, I definitely take a food first approach. Uh, but smart supplementation can definitely play a role. Um, evidence based, quality controlled, all the usual things. But tell us a little bit about, about supplements. I mean, I think, you know, I've seen the reports and some of the things you guys recommend, I believe in, and some of them are a little too out there for me, at least for my practice to implement right now. But I'm definitely open to many of the things. And I think, you know, one of the things that you're probably going to talk about, I'm sorry to just interrupt you and talk no, myself, but, um, you know, antioxidants and phytonutrients are critically important and our soil quality has deteriorated so much over the past 50 years that I feel like it's incredibly difficult to get 
everything that you need, even from the most balanced diet. So with that, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, anything, anything you know, you want to say to expand on that and be more specific? Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with that statement um, right away. You know, we we can do everything in our power via, via food and try, right? Just like you said, I was I was going to mention it, but you you said it before me. Food is medicine, right? We should um, eat to live, not live to eat. Correct. So, um, making sure we're we're taking in the right nutrients. But I would say it, it's still hard to get all of them in, right? Especially um, if if you, like you said, you live a very busy lifestyle, um, and and that's probably unfortunately just not your top priority, right? We we all have different things we're doing in life, so supplementation definitely helps. We have to be realistic here. Um, and and I would say the number one supplement that I would probably recommend, and and again, I'm going off of being literature research based is vitamin D. <laughs> Everyone is is deficient wow. in vitamin D nowadays, right? That's what the media says. That's what it portrays. Um, I would say that has been probably the most heavily studied supplement with the epigenetic methylation. Um, there's been a good chunk of studies there really showing that anywhere from 4,000 to 6,000 IU per day is going to help you um, de decrease those overall uh, overarching biological age clocks, like the first in generation that I mentioned, and even lower that Dunedin pace as well. So okay, I, I mean, I, as a physician, I would I I would never make a blanket diagnosis. I would prefer to understand what what range of vitamin D serum vitamin D would be relevant. So do you have correct an idea of that? Because everybody's dose yeah. is going to be different, and that's one of the things my new company is going to do. Yep. Um. But my my goal is to measure their vitamin D along with their you know epigenetic and many other things. But so is there a range of vitamin D that has been shown in the research to be the most effective? Yeah, I don't believe there has been. These studies have been more, definitely more generalized. And, mm -hmm. and anyone who is taking our test as well, when I start to talk to physicians about um, possibly recommending vitamin D, you know, I would say probably eight times out of 10, they are all measuring vitamin D levels on on, right. on the side. So um, I again, it's epigenetic methylation is great. I still think it's probably the number one most important test that you could do if you're wanting to optimize your aging process. But again, let's be realistic here. It's not the complete picture. You may right. want to do genetics or again, your, your nutrigenomics to see what you may need to have the most fulfilling life and in, in terms of a healthy lifestyle. Okay. So vitamin D is the number one, um, any of any other set, you know, second, second best, uh, yeah, any other contenders? I, I would say I, I love this study. I'm going to refer to another study here um, that combines epigenetics and genetics. And I think that's why I love it. What happens is, and, and again, so most most providers even sometimes that are new to our company, when they think of methylation, they think of the MTHFR gene or the COMP-T gene, right? Mm -hmm. Again, methylation is not good or bad. It depends on the position that you're looking at. You want some things to be shut off. You want some things to be turned on. This study I'm referring to here looked at women who had the MTHFR677CC variant. What happened is that in you know men who had the 677TT variant, okay? So so both men and women, different variants here. And what they noticed is that people with that genotype actually had faster aging, faster biological aging. So what they did in the study is they supplemented with a methylated cofactor. They took folic acid or 5-methylfolate and then vitamin B12 or methylcobalamin. What they saw in women was a reversal, almost an instantaneous reversal of those age-related metrics. Um, the, the study was a little odd how it was set up. In men, they didn't see a reversal, but they gave the same dosing to both men and women. And I don't know those off the top of my head, but 
we would expect you not to get the same result if you're not going to give the correct dosing, right? So I think that's a, a good proof of concept point in itself. Um, now, to finish out the study and to round it out, those are hypermethylators. They are going to give more methylation, so they're going to turn more things off, right? On the other side, think of it almost as a teeter-totter, right? This global methylation where you have hypermethylation on one side, you need hypomethylation on the other side. So hypomethylation, meaning you're taking methylation away, things are being activated, they're being turned on. And for those, you know, that's pretty pretty much more generalized supplementation. You can use any type of flavanol. You can use citrus bergamot. You can use... Um, EGCG, green tea extract, is, is a good example, right? I think one that um, probably a lot of listeners are aware of. So I, I just love that study. It, it is taking that multi-omic approach because aging is multifactorial. We have to look at all different parts, even not just epigenetic methylation. Yeah, that sounds... I, I love that. I mean, and multiomics is exactly what my new company is about. So thank you yes. for giving me a shout out there. Wow, maybe I'll hire you for my marketing. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so I'd love to see that study, actually. If you could send it to me afterwards, I definitely want to include that with my scientific, you know, database and dossier. So, all right. So I, I think it's the time in the podcast where we get to talk about <laughs> my epigenetic age. Drum roll, please. Anybody? Yes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so so let's go through my results. And, and and, and and we're I want to talk through like some of the things because what my goal is uh, to get them lower. But so I'll I'll yep. read them and then you can. So my intrinsic age. Mm -hmm. So that's my biologic age, correct? Compared to my chronologic age. So correct. my chronologic age at the time I took the test was fifty two point two six years old. And my intrinsic age is 47.27 years old. Yes. And uh, so that's five years younger. Mm -hmm. um, there was also, I didn't print this, but I, there was something that told me that I was aging at a rate of 0.7 years per year, which I thought was kind of awesome. So tell me how I compare to everybody and and. Let's let's talk about how I can do better yeah. and and why I should do better because you have a really cool stat about the seven year younger, right? Yes. Okay. Doctor Melina, give yourself a, a pat on the back. That is awesome. You are starting off younger. Very impressive because again, to everyone listening, we are aging. Any type of reversal is extremely extremely significant here. So um, you know, being younger is great. I do want to say we've tested about fifteen thousand different people to date. Most of them being very healthy, coming from healthcare providers, just like Dr. Molina in the integrative preventative space. She actually falls under that average trend line for people over the same chronological age group. So when you put her against everyone we've tested, she's doing absolutely amazing. And the statistic she was referring to is you want to be seven years younger intrinsically compared to your chronological age. If everyone in the world did that, you would cut the incidence of disease in half. Half the people would no longer be sick. And Dr. Molina is well on her way. So something that is, is again, really awesome makes me smile from ear to ear. Well, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited. So, so let's talk about, and you know, I think it's, I think it's interesting at the back um, of the report, because you then you talk about, you know, what's important and what can influence this. And I, I'm kind of thinking through what I do. Um, and, you know, I mean, some of this stuff is is super interesting. And, and that I'm gonna, you know, obviously, 
exercise is important. We talked about that. Nutrition is important. Smart supplementation is important. The medications part, I really don't want to get into that because that's outside of my scope. But, you know, stress, psychosocial, emotional stress, uh, that's something that, I mean, I, I guess I wonder if like just bringing in more met, cause I, I just, there's no way, especially with this new company that I'm going to minimize that. But I wonder if like bringing in really kind of leaning more into daily meditation would be something that, I mean, is there any data <laughs> on meditation and epigenetic age? Oh, Absolutely. I was shaking my head yes just the whole time. So by nature, I am a naturally stressed out person and know that I absolutely have to keep this lower in order to regulate my aging. Um, but we see with all of these different studies, a higher stress level, and, and again, there are tons, equals worse aging, worse first, second generation, and the Deneen and Pace algorithm, even how you handle stress. So by that, I mean, if you're not a stressed out person, but a curveball gets thrown your way and you know you, you start to go uh, awry and then you're not sure what to do, that can even increase your epigenetic aging. Um, there, there's one study I do want to point out where they actually did a um, relaxation response where these participants went in the hospital, they learned it, it basically all they had to learn was, you know, sitting in quiet, meditating, or they could choose to also listen to music. So again, a really cheap intervention that you don't really, you don't need to do much for. Um, they practiced this for 60 days um, and they saw really great results all across the board. So, um, you know, uh, that I, I, that's not even really lifting a finger, right? Just set it, Set aside a time in your day, really focus and and try and uh, uh, meditate. Yeah, an and I, you know, there's free apps that you can yep. do it. And I've tried them in the past, but I'm gonna I'm gonna dust off my app <laughs> for okay. even just five minutes. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna try. I mean, other things like sleep. That one I've given up on. I just there's no hope for me of getting better <laughs> sleep ever, especially as a perimenopausal woman. You'll you'll get there someday. I maybe we'll cure <laughs> menopause by then, but no, I'm just kidding. Um and and toxic exposures, I think that's an interesting one. Like particle matter can be determined by your zip code. So, you know, you're not you can't move, obviously, to avoid these things, avoiding exposure to pesticides. Um, I think something like that would be, you know, kind of looking more at the Dirty Dozen, the environmental working group, you know, for the clean vegetables and, and produce that may be higher in pesticides. So there's a lot of really actionable things here that I think are practical. And the podcast is called Practically Healthy. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm going to experiment with a couple things. I think what I'm going to do is kind of do things in phases. And I'm going to try I'm going to try to drink a little bit less because I saw that alcohol can accelerate. Is that a dose dependent thing or is that just all or nothing? Like any alcohol equals aging? Because I know there's research on, you know, red wine and longevity and cert one activity and that sort of thing. But it, what, what's your take on that? It used to be dose dependent when we first opened up two years ago. We we actually just recently changed the reports again. It's, it's why you have to keep up with everything here um, that you know, the, the findings were just incredible. Any, any dose of alcohol is going to accelerate that aging. So, and, and we definitely can't recommend drinking to anyone either. Right. Of course. So we would just, of course, say no, no drinking at all. The, right. the research just doesn't show great results. <laughs> right. So I'm not going to give that one up completely because mama right. needs her glass of wine <laughs> on occasion, but I am going to try to meditate 
Uh, and, and I am going to play around with supplementation because, um, I, I know, I, I mean, you know, God knows I know what I'm supposed to do, right? I mean, right. this is my job. It's, I've been doing it for 22 years, but there, it's just very hard for me to get everything that I need. So I am going to play around with, you know, some of these polyphenols that we talked mm-hmm. about. And I know I'm a huge fan of herbs and spices and even those, I talk about them all the time. I know how great they are for me, but I'm a terrible cook. And, and it's so hard to implement a lot of herbs and spices when you're not a great cook, but I do my best. Um, so I, I'm super excited. So what, so I, I told you my goals. What, what are your goals? What's okay. I'm going to put you on the spot here. What's your epigenetic age, Hannah? Can you share that with our audience? Yeah. The, the last time I tested, so believe it or not, this is actually the first year I've ever even gone and, and seen a functional medicine medical provider, right? And, and have gotten my labs drawn and really started to narrow in on some of the supplementation. So I took my test before I did any of that. And I'm, I'm due for a, a test any, any day now. I was actually older intrinsically. So I was, I was older intrinsically. Wow. Really? Just by a couple years. Right. Mm-hmm. Wait, what's so, your chronologic age? You look great. Yes. Yeah, so I'm 25 years old chronologically. Oh my God. You're so. a baby. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, a couple years older intrinsically. Wow. <laughs> Okay. So, so still very young. Um, and but my pace of aging was below one. So th- that is the good part, right? The pace of aging being our favorite, being the one you want to prioritize, because the lower and longer you keep that pace of aging below one, your intrinsic epigenetic age should decrease as well. Because remember, that's the path you're on. I, I call it the intrinsic epigenetic aging more of this historical based aging, right? Really how you've been aging since your inception. So mm-hmm. something that happened in your childhood could actually cause the increase in your intrinsic, right? There, there's all of these different epide- epidemiological factors that could have played a role in it. So it becomes really interesting. Then you can hypothesize as to why yours is higher or lower. But seems like you've been doing things uh, the correct way for for quite some time being I didn't I didn't really I don't know what that is I I mean yes I I guess having lived in the nutrition world for the past 20 years and I I I have to admit I I do love exercise um and I you know was never a smoker so I guess that that counts for something but so have you have you made improvements in your or do you you want me to help you offline no (laughs) I'm like I'm like do you want some coaching? Because I guess I'm good at it. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. The, um, the areas that I absolutely could work on, you know, my sleep's great. I, I think I get quantity, quality. I don't track it with an aura ring, but I feel good. I feel fine there. Um, stress is huge. I probably yeah. fall asleep too fast, right? If you fall asleep too fast, that's not great either. You're exhausted. So, um, of course, being in, in a startup environment doesn't help, but I love what I do. So I'm, I'm you know, again, not giving up certain areas and certain things there. So I know I need to work on stress. I used to do hot yoga. I loved it. I need to get back into it. I need to dust off my meditation app and I just need to start um, working out. I'm pretty, pretty good in that realm. I've always loved, you know, going to the gym and, and fitness in general. Um, I could also work on my diet. So, you know, um, we don't have in and out here in Lexington, Kentucky. So when I'm in <laughs> California, I do grab it every now and then. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I love food. I love dessert. I definitely have a sweet tooth. I'm, I'm not awful. If you saw my diet, you'd probably say, okay, that's fine. Yes, there are things to work on. But right. I, again, you can always elevate. I know I can be a lot better there. Yeah. And I have a sweet tooth too. That's why I wanted to reassure the audience that you can still age like me and have a sweet tooth. I mean, and I don't succumb to it all the time. And I, uh, you know, I... I 
I do, I do like, I never have sweets on an empty stomach. That's like kind of one of my rules, which is very interesting for the, you know, glycemic index and that sort of thing. But so, so this is exciting. Okay. So we'll commit to each other to work on our stress yes. management as we <laughs> navigate our startups. Hannah, thank you so much. Where can people go to learn more about True Diagnostics and your company? Yeah, absolutely. So feel free to go on, you know, just truediagnostic.com, T-R-U, diagnostic is singular. Um, you can always shoot me an email if, if you ever want to have a chat and, and schedule some time, Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H at truediagnostic.com. Um, I also have an, another Instagram as well. It's more personal, but it's called at everything epigenetics. If you just want to learn more about the the studies and the research that's out there, I'm all all evidence-based, just like Dr. Molina, right? I, I really believe that the, the information is out there and people are doing the, the right work in the field. We just need to make it accessible to everyone. Yeah. And, and it, it is, I mean, just for those of you listening, wondering that this is a rapidly evolving field. I mean, precision nutrition in general is, is really taking off, you know, 2020 NIH initiative for the 10 years to really focus more on that precision nutrition. So it's exciting. And it's something that, I mean, even I struggle to keep up with. So thank you, Hannah. I'm going to check out what at everything epigenetics. I, 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 maybe I follow you. I got to get, I'm not on Instagram yeah. that much, um, <laughs> but I don't have a lot of free time, but um, anyways, I, this has been a real pleasure and really exciting. And I, I hope you all enjoyed this podcast. I, I'm really trying to really hone in on what I'm passionate about and excited about. And I hope that's making you passionate and excited. If you have any ideas for episodes, reach out to me, email me, uh, Melina at drmelina.com. Shoot me a message on Instagram. Like this podcast. Subscribe if you have ideas for topics or episodes. I'm all ears because I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for me too, actually, because <laughs> I learn a heck of a lot and it's really fun. But I also want to bring that knowledge to you and and want to you know serve the public as much as I could. So again, Hannah, thank you so much. I wish you the best, and I really look forward to working together, continuing to do so in the future, because I think we're going to do great things. Absolutely, Dr. Molina. So excited for your new company and to, to chat offline about that more as well. I'm, I'm ecstatic. So thanks for, so much for having me. My pleasure. Be healthy. I really hope that you found the information in this podcast helpful. I know I did. And I welcome your feedback because I'm doing this for you. So if there's topics that you want to learn about, something that you want to learn more about, if there's something that you want to explain further that I've talked about, please let me know. Comment on my Instagram page. Send me an email, melina at drmelina.com. And definitely hit that subscribe button because I'm going to have great new content every single week, and I don't want you to miss an episode. That's it for now. Stay practically healthy.